0: you're listening to the sports therapy association podcast let's talk about hey people good evening how are you doing welcome 15th of January, February, march 2022 and you are listening to the sports therapy association podcast also video cast because we record it live um and i've already It's the first time this evening actually where i've come in and the room's already pretty full so that i don't know if that's connected to our guest it might just be correlation and not causation we can talk about that later on but wow you people have just kind of come in in full glory so if you are listening um to the podcast and the reason i'm saying this is because as always um it is recorded live on tuesdays at eight o'clock um british time um, and if you do come in, then I'm able to bring your comments up into the room. Like on the screen at the moment, we've got Gary Benson, founder of the STA, saying good evening all. we got all of the full-timers here. Leslie Campbell is here. Hey, Leslie, how are you doing? Um, Stephen Barr says, good evening, people. How are we all? Grand, I hope. So it really is – I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but it's a great place to hang out with um, – soft tissue therapist. You don't have to be a member of the STA whatsoever to join us. In fact, it's a really nice way of um, having a look to see what the STA is all about. And if you are in the UK in particular, then we've got regional reps who are here as well. So if you've got some information or you want to meet up with someone um, and have a chat about what's happening in your area, then it's a great way of networking as well. And um, Catherine Reimer has come in the room as well. Hey, Catherine, how you doing? Phil Griffiths. Jeez, I'm not gonna have time to say everybody who's in here. It seems that we've attracted a few people, which I'm sure my guest tonight um, actually probably is not bothered at all. But I'm pleased about it. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Before I do bring you um, our guest for tonight, um, I just a uh, shout out for what we've had this week on the Sports Therapy Association podcast, because it's these months are working really well. If I say so myself, I don't like to pat myself on the back very often. But um, the feedback I'm getting from focusing on one topic per month has been really cool. Um, We've had um, prior to this a whole month on uh, women's health, which went down really well um, because it kept people talking about it and asking questions and contacting the speakers and all sorts of stuff. Um, And then this month, the focus has been on CPD, so continuing professional development in the UK in March and April. We started off am um, talking with Mike Grice and Daniel Williams about um, dermoneuromodulation, um, which is coming to the UK for the first time. Very excited about that. In fact, the first one happened this weekend, if I remember rightly. Um, we've got Mike Rioch um, and Ray Allen coming over from the States to teach that um, in Birmingham and in Exeter. And if I remember rightly, yeah, the first one was this weekend, but the extra one is next weekend. James Morgan, if you're listening, correct me on that. And then part two is in June. So you've still got time if you want to uh, get to the extra one. Um, or if you know a little bit about um, Dermoneur Modulation already and you're familiar with Diane Jacobs' work, then there's no reason why you don't just sign up for the day two, which is in June. Full information given in the normal places in our show notes. There's all links and everything to that. We went on from that to last week, a really, um, a really enjoyable conversation with Dr. Peter Maliaris, who, if you don't know, is just really, really high um, in terms of tendinopathy research. Um, and also a really, really nice example because he's been around so long. He's a good example of somebody who has evolved, understood how things are changing a little bit, changing the narrative and with regards to tendinopathy we had a wonderful chat about how things have changed a little bit, how research is challenging previous assumptions um, really healthy episode for anybody who is working um, with uh, clients or patients suffering from tendinopathy so do check it out, as always if you want to watch the videos on YouTube if you want to just catch up with the audio then just um, look for the Sports Therapy Association podcast on your preferred app Subscribe to that because you get notification of when new episodes are being uploaded Um, and and that's how it works. Um, You can also listen to it on our website, thesta.co.uk, and that's where the show notes are as well. We move on tonight to somebody who, um, for some of you, um, who especially those who join us live, probably know this name very well. Um so hopefully um, always my intention, some of you who download the podcast afterwards, hopefully you haven't heard of him because it's going to be for a lot of you, I think, a great experience to get to know this guy and, and what he's been doing and what he's done for an awful long time. Um, I've been standing on his shoulders probably for about, I want to say about a decade but that makes me feel old and probably him even older, uh, but definitely one of the giants who um, affected uh, my um, understanding and journey as a healthcare provider, along with the likes of Paul Ingram who I interviewed as well. and um, on chat live and people like uh, Tony Ingram as well. People like um, uh, who else? Who I'll give a shout out to Todd Hargrove. I mean, great thinkers for me. Okay. So it might not be, we've talked about this before. We talked about it a little bit off air. It might not be the person for you, but it's all about finding someone, you know. I just heard him go, "Hmm, that could happen," um, but that's normal, okay? Um, but I definitely want you to check out Greg Layman. Go to greglayman.ca. So much, so many, so many blogs out there. Fantastic website with an amazing manual uh, which you can um, educate yourself, which you can give out to patients. All free. Um, real credit to the industry, and always um, happy to give out information um, to anybody who wants it and wants to listen. So. Uh, really looking forward to bringing him up tonight um i think that's everything in terms of housekeeping so as always if you've got questions if you have joined us live then feel free to type something into the comments uh, claire walker just come in the door there good evening love your podcast well thanks claire makes me feel kind of special as well but it's all really down to the guests i just asked some questions um and glenn murphy hi uh, hi glenn thanks for joining us as well um marvelous right so without further ado I think that's a long enough introduction. I shall bring up Gregory Lehman. Hey, Greg, how are you doing? Good. You? <laughs> I'm okay. I was listening to your kind of feedback from the lobby underneath every time I said something, which meant to be kind of like laugh. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much for giving up your time, first of all. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, I, I get a little, I'm quite a melancholic person anyway, but we talked off air. It's been seven years since tomorrow actually. It was on a Wednesday when you did your I think it was the first time you did kind of the uh reconciling um biomechanics with pain course in in the UK. Oh for it was, sure. It, it was, yeah. wasn't it? Seven years ago. Um and and I love I love kind of looking oh I've got really hold on. Good. I love um getting a little bit melancholic and I did bring up some photos um just to take you back there a little bit um that was you with mr chu uh, back in 2015 in our little studio 57 clinic um you got Chu on the treadmill and um, he he he
1: puked the night before i don't know if you because know, we went for a run and i was doing a tempo and he's fit but he, he's not a runner and uh yeah it is at a 430 kilometer can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. can't let him forget that
0: i remember you saying the lad did well he kept up with quite a long time he was he was doing it but then at the end he just let himself all go didn't he yeah bless him (laughs) but a beautiful relationship that that um yeah happened there and then also um with a lovely lunch and stuff down in brighton and then also this was at a later date but you did this you were doing um kind of duels adams Adams, wasn't it spy bushy as well and you kind of um came and, and and video bombed or podcast bombed uh, one of the physio matters podcast episodes myself and tom so yeah we have met on a couple occasions few occasions you also um were there on the recent or the 2020 one chat live conference so we've known each other for a while Uh remember that yeah well you were kind of just that was amazing you know what i had 10 amazing guests and yet what people were talking about was I can't believe that even just in the lunchtime drop-ins, you had Alex Hutchinson, you had Greg Lehman, you had J.F. Asculia. <laughs> These people just dropping in, uh, uh, Manuel Basomi, you had... Um, oh, yeah. yeah. You just popped like in lunchtime. I think you were still in bed, you were just lying back. I remember at one stage mm-hmm. it was you, it was J.F. Asculia, and it was also Kevin Maggs. It was kind of like, almost like Christmas Carol with the past and the future of um, the running clinic. It was it was a beautiful yeah. moment. Yeah. So anyway, you've been around a while. Um, for people who don't know you, just give us a bit of a breakdown on, on how long you have been around. Um, yeah, so take it's you
1: 1973. Your... <laughs> uh, no, I, I've been around this space forever. Like I'm getting tired <laughs> since, uh, I mean, I started my master's in 96 and that uh, uh, was in spine biomechanics. But I was into like the biopsychosocial model of pain uh, then. I mean, I think I told you I wrote a paper in 1997 in ergonomics, an ergonomics class on phantom limb pain. (laughs) So nothing's new. I can tell everyone that.
0: (laughs) And that is is—it's a mixture, isn't it? It must be frustrating for you because, and I think sometimes if people do check you out on social media, you can sense sometimes the anger, you know, you can (laughs) sense the frustration. Um, And I think that's why sometimes I, 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 when I recommend you to people, like when I'm teaching and they say, who should I follow? And who should I look at? Because social media can be such a great thing. I say your name, obviously, but I say he's like, it's like he's have needles stuck in him every day for about 25 years, turning these kind of needles around, winding him up. So it's got to be tricky. Um, But do you ever feel like you're going to break? Or is it just part of the parcel of being ahead of your time back in the nineties? <laughs>
1: I got a break but you, you get tired of the same discussions and then what's interesting is like especially with with Twitter you you can have a discussion with someone 8 years ago through the years and then over time you see them taking your argument that you said to them and they then they're saying it kind of back to you or to someone else and and they were mad at you for saying these things a long time ago and now you see them saying these things and I I don't, I don't know
0: <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it's gotta be it's gotta be difficult but yeah, regardless it's not, of that not
1: difficult but yeah you still managed
0: to be a fantastic educator and and i'm really glad that you still are very active and you have loads of things going on um and what we're here to talk about tonight is um the uh course which let me just bring this up again you're having a little bit of a travel around the world aren't you um been going for seven years that oh no was it happening before the uk you already done a few courses in europe i've own? done a
1: few but that 2015 was when i really started like yeah yeah, yeah. You know, I think maybe right before you guys, I did Argentina, and yeah, a, bunch. Yeah, yeah. a lot in Sweden, Norway. So that's that's when it kicked off and then it just I haven't stopped.
0: I'm just going to bring this up on full screen so people watching the show can actually see it because it's tiny font, But we can still hear you even though I'm going to put this up on full screen. So it looks like. This weekend, actually, you're off to the Rocky Mountains. And then the one which is interesting for people in the UK is the weekend after, from the Rocky Mountains, you're going to Cork. Ireland. Two weeks after, sorry. Yeah. So on the 2nd of April, that's yeah, true, um, you're going to be there, which is only like a stone's throw, really, from um, England. And you can get over there pretty quickly and easily. Um, so you're going to be over there. Um, and tickets are still available, you said. So just getting that in there now, if if, if you listen to the podcast and it's not already um, April the 2nd, then you have a chance to see everything we're going to talk about today in the flesh live in Ireland. Um, And then incredibly, rather incredibly the weekend after that, you're back to Canada again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. On the other side though. (laughs) I mean, I got to come home.
0: True. I guess. Yeah. And it's kind of on the way, isn't it? Cork from the Rocky mountains. If you draw a line with the crow flies and it's kind of, yeah, you you may as well have done it that way. Um, But Hey, yeah cork is the place if you're still interested Um, uh, but yeah you'll be back in the uk again isn't it so it's not like now or never um so first question then i as we kind of mentioned off air the purpose of the sports Therapy association podcast for me when i created it was giving a friendly safe place for therapists who have the balls basically to Understand that maybe the narrative they've been given on their three, four thousand pound course was slightly outdated. And they're like, I know something's up, something's wrong. I didn't like dipping my toes into Twitter. It was very scary. I saw someone go down to saying their manual therapy sucks and, and all I need to do is get people strong. And it just scared the hell out of me. So I've heard, though, that Matt Phillips and the Sports Therapy podcast is a little bit friendlier place and the guests you get on are friendlier. So imagine someone listening to podcasts is in that frame of mind. They may be an undergraduate. They've been taught still inc- improving circulation of blood, breaking down and um, scar tissue, all the PNFs and METs and all the acronyms you can think of. What would be your message for that person listening now who's like, you've got two minutes to keep them listening or two minutes to run away and think, no, this is too much.
1: Too much, I should be an accountant.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Just chuck in your career. How are you going to keep them listening?
1: Uh, My... Ma- My point of being so uh, critical, you know, through the years, and and honestly, we did this with my master's and the the colleagues that were doing their PhD with me, was to simplify and make it easier. That was it, because there's so many, uh, so much CE is making people feel stupid, because uh, they have these complex and complicated narratives about, about, about what's going on with the body. And you you feel dumb and you don't feel any, any and you don't know what they're talking about, so you feel like you you're inadequate and so you want to go take their course because you think that they have some special knowledge right and that special knowledge isn't that special that's that's the thing and so the the point of being critical is just to simplify things that you're still doing a great job in what you're doing, and the reason you're helping people is probably very complex, but your interventions are quite simple that that's it. Like it, it, we we make things way harder than than they have to be. Like you have all these stupid rules for movement or stupid rules on the right way to do manual therapy, and you don't need any of those things for the most part. Right. That, that's so that, nice.
0: That's a good yeah. buy-in. That's cool. So actually, you are going to make people. You're in the business of making people's lives easier. That's um, that's they- the whole idea. Yeah.
1: Like I, I, often, I, I made some Jesus Christ joke at a conference where I was like. I'll, I've gone through all of the bullshit biomechanical ideas, so you don't have to. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on the I'm on the biomechanical cross for your sins, but now you can go to. The, <laughs> the, now that. you can go. Yeah, it was very offensive. Uh, now, now you can go to heaven because I've gone through all the bullshit. But where then, did you and, say you did this? What, what San, San Diego Pain Summit. I think that's online. You can go see that. Uh, like, I mean, it looks like I'm on coke. Like, my wife's like, the more people in the audience. Like the worse you behave, and like I know I don't know what's wrong with me. I'd but love like, to see you do that down in the South, deep deep South, or something. That oh might. God, so that's what I do. I was I was teaching in some Catholic hospital once, and then every joke is about Christ. Like, and I never make religious jokes, but boom, I'm just pulling shit out about my four year old breastfeeding baby Jesus. Once <laughs> we're at a at an Irish pub, and she she loved Jesus even though she was an atheist, and so we bought her like a. At Jesus' action figure, and she's like three, waiting to get into the pub. And she's like, Dad, look, Jesus' having booby. And she's pulled (laughs) her top down. Anyways, so like, I haven't told that story since I was back in the Catholic hospital. So,
0: of course, yeah, I haven't had the reason. Yeah, so so it's good. Shock value. Mm, right. but, um, no, I like that. So, people listening, um, and it's healthy. I mean, one of the things about I like doing video is because when they see you and they can see you smiling and they see you're human, then I think it makes it potentially a lot more of a valuable resource for learning than just reading streams and conversations, which are limited to words and that sort of stuff. So,
1: yeah, words, and we miss people's intentions too easily at, uh, online and Twitter. We don't like what we don't, do we really understand what the other person's saying? Have we really gotten across what we're saying? Are we really that that different? Like, what are we really talking about? And that, that that gets missed too often.
0: Good point. Good point. You're happy doing, I mean, what was it like for you? I mean, you do online courses as well, and you've had to, like a lot of people, but do you kind of like the face-to-face stuff as well?
1: I haven't done, really done much online, no, no more over COVID than I did before. Mm. I would occasionally do one to two hour seminars, but... I think I did one one-day course. That was uh, uh, like one, maybe a two-day course. That's pretty rare.
0: But like, you just Go on.
1: I was just going to say, I did put all my cor- all my material online, hmm. like if people wanted to, to get it and sign up. But then if people, that's what I like about that is that they sign up, then you get to use that as a credit to an in-person. So I'm glad, COVID kind of stimulated me to do that, which is nice. So then when you take the course, you have like, Thirteen hours of recorded lectures as well. Because mm-hmm. I hated taking courses and then like forgetting what they said and what was the nuance and what are the cases and so.
0: You know, I think that's a really it. that's a really nice way of doing it. And I don't think the maybe some places are changing that to mimic you but um yeah i love the way you do that so that if you do go to the course and then you want to catch up with it, you haven't got to pay for it again or something or well, it's like oh, a yeah. book you've got it on your shelf oh. sounds obvious isn't it but it's really nice you'd,
1: yeah you'd, you'd think so and i know people want to say oh things are changing it's updated not principles and fundamentals don't really change that much uh, we, the things the things that we quibble over yeah maybe like i'd be curious with pete maliaris how much it's really changed. What I would guess is that he's just more open to other interventions. Where 5 mm-hmm. years ago people would be like, "Oh no, you got to load it heavy or the tendon won't adapt." And and now people are saying, "Oh okay, I guess we have more options." That that's what research sort of says that there's more options to help people. Too many people are in the business of saying, "No, that sucks." And really it's, "No, that sucks, but you, you can do other things as well." Mm-hmm anyway
0: sorry I got off. no 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 it's fine that's no, true no pete it was it was i followed pete for quite a long time he did some work with tom and it was really interesting to see i mean he he again a lot of the stuff which he was saying made me think of people like yourself who were saying these things kind of 10 15 years ago in the sense that we got to realize the research for tendinopathy is not that good yeah and we should never kind of like just have one tool in our box you got to be yeah. open to other things and all of these things which you know probably make you think yeah <laughs> do you think? Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but it was yeah, it was it was it was healthy. I'm just saying hi to uh gornier Walsh, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. And also, um a very special hello to Wamerfu. I'm not sure i've got the pronunciation for that, right? Why should I listen to Greg over Andrew Lock? Okay. I'm not sure whether Wamerfu is um a plant here for Andrew Lock, but there we go. Um I think I they're know. joking. I think they're joking. Um okay, so let me put a picture up, because this for me kind of made me think, and it's something, it's a symbol which has become rather synonymous with you. Um up here, and I want you to explain it. There you go. What's all that about?
1: What's my when I impregnated a bear? <laughs> exactly. Obviously. She's due any day. <laughs> the bear is uh yeah, it's been linked for a long
0: time. People are still talking about it like it's new, but it's a very successful. Um and yeah, I wanted to for somebody who's not familiar with the bear, what is it?
1: So I had a patient this morning and and uh so many people are afraid of pain, um, people in pain and, and therapists as well. And and ten years ago I'd be saying, You're allowed to poke into pain. You can poke the bear, just don't hump the shit out of it. Like it's something most a lot of people know intuitively, and I would say there's a subset of people who don't realize that, who think that as soon as they have pain there's something wrong. You have to really res- you, not just respect it, but like bow down to it, you know? So all it's saying is, yeah, you're allowed to have some discomfort, um, but don't be an idiot about it. There's no need to be macho, you know, like this, no pain, no gain, you know, pain is weakness, leaving the body, whatever people say. So it, that that's all it is. And, it, and it's a freeing message to a lot of people where you're telling me I'm safe. I can do yoga again. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Just don't be an idiot about it. Hmm. Which isn't always easy. Like, I'm certainly an idiot quite often, and things flare up, but um, it's okay.
0: It's a really nice symbol and kind of like metaphor to you although it's probably not a metaphor in canada because you do our bears but for us over in the uk it's a nice metaphor which people can use with patients i think it's a nice metaphor that therapists can use with themselves when they think about what they're doing if they're scared to actually cause pain or if they're getting a client to perform some exercise and not quite sure whether they should do it with no pain at all or whether they should put up with loads of pain but i also like the way that for me when i first saw it with you you kind of showed that again, work with the individual in front of you because some people are going to be kind of too scared to touch the bear at all, okay? And they're going to avoid any sort of pain. But then other people, particularly maybe kind of like seasoned runners, are going to be quite happy, as you say, to have the shit out of the bear because they think yeah. that no pain, no gain. So you've got to look at the person in front of you, which is a good message.
1: Yeah, and so then the clinical decision there, like where, where being a therapist is hard, it, it's not really choosing the right exercise. It's sometimes knowing when to poke and when to back off. And, and under what conditions, because there's certainly times, and this is why you still need to be a good clinician, there's certainly times where something could be sinister or serious and, oh no, no, someone else has to get in here and give us a hand, some other medical professional or something. Where So you still have to be a good, good clinician and know what's going on. And then, of course, sometimes we do want to back off.
0: Um, Leslie Campbell has just said in here I've used the bear loads probably weekly yeah I mean it's really useful um it won't ring true with everyone and I also love thanks to people like Greg and and Mike James actually um it's knowing that sometimes the patient's coming up with their own metaphor or their own idea but for a lot of people the idea of an angry bear it's not going to go away if you ignore it if you start kind of slapping it around the face it's they just it's just going to keep mauling you so it's a nice way to educate and get a coin to drop um Manual therapy. I mean, a lot of the people in the Sports Therapy Association um, have gone via the route of massage therapy, and they've probably still embrace a little massage. Is massage a nice way of kind of helping pacify the bear and making it go away eventually? What do you think about massage?
1: Yeah, I, I have no problem with manual therapy. I mean, I, and again, this is when you look at the criticisms criticisms of manual therapy, it's because of what people say about it you know that that was my thesis 25 years ago was on spine manipulation and the whole and all we really concluded was it's not doing what we say it's doing um, but it can still be potentially helpful and that's it and there's been 25 years of research on that and then you'll have people then often when people uh you know shit on manual therapy like you'll hear people say oh don't use it for tendinopathy and, and they'll be very adamant about this and they believe you got to load the tendon. And then you're like, well, why? Like, well, what's the issue? Oh, well, that won't, won't build up the capacity of the tendon with some nebulous term like capacity. And then, well, what do you mean? Well, it won't make the tendon stiffer and the tendon has to get built up. And I'm like, well, that's a huge assumption. Your assumption there is that that tendon needs to adapt in that, in that way that you, that, that's, that's what's stopping someone from performing. And that, that may or may not be true. That person can have a, a pain problem. That that's it. That's that that's what's going on. They have tendon-related pain. That's all we can say. And so for a subset of people, manual therapy might actually be the thing that helps them. Because they've been doing heavy loading for six months. Or you look at the research and you look at the how the tendon changes with heavy loading over time and or heel drops or something. And there's no change in the tendon quality. Yet those people got better. So again, that's what I mean. People are often telling therapists not to do something based on some assumption uh, of what they, like they think something has to happen, that that's a meeting mediating variable for recovery. And their assumption is a massive assumption that hasn't been proven. And they're not really that evidence-based. They just like say that they are. Is this something which, there?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no. Is this something which comes out in your course? I'm trying to imagine how your course might've changed it from since it went starting in the UK seven years ago, but
1: it's the same. If you remember, like I would, I always put manual therapy under that big block of symptom modification, right? Like I I never, I used to do lots of back cracking, and I never once cracked a back thinking I was putting a joint into a different place or was changing the gamma gain on a muscle spindle. The reason I would crack a back was because someone had low back pain. That's all I needed to know. It hurts here. Okay. Let's manipulate your spine. And then my professor would be like, what's your reference for that? I'd be like, layman, you know, 2000 jackass (laughs) i referenced myself yeah the peak of arrogance he's like get the fuck out of here greg i remember (laughs) because that because i was like you can't be specific i don't care what what joint l3 l4 l5 maybe l7 if you're lucky isn't that like a girl band in the uk l7
0: it oh, you're asking like, the wrong person. S I mean, Club Seven, or something. Oh, maybe, Yeah, okay. I think that's the okay. sequels. Yeah, it's the S
1: Club, not the L Club. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so the the point is, like, that's for manual therapy falls. It's a symptom modifier. Is that all you're gonna do? Well, for some people, that's all you maybe need to do. I would, I would never just do that, but I, I just, I just have trouble shitting on things if you're evidence based, and then you're like, well, where's the evidence for this? like if, if manual therapy was so horrible for low back pain or neck pain then we would see that in the literature when it's compared against an exercise intervention you it would just be like thro- like it would be you wouldn't even need stats you would just be able to look at it and say oh there's a massive difference between the two but there isn't when you look at the research you know it's like eh, okay whatever
0: so this is really it's- healthy to hear this is really healthy to hear cuz i think that for Again, on social media for soft tissue therapists who who I don't know what it's like in Canada, I know what it's like well, actually I do because we've spoken to um guests from Canada, although in Canada, massage is kind of like paid for isn't it by the government? you can actually insurance you can get massage uh,
1: free. it's not of, no, not government, just private health care
0: is it private health um
1: a lot of people do have private health care,
0: was it yeah, so it's kind of. You know, people will come in for their regular massage because they're getting paid to have it. And um, that's a great business for, for massage therapists. But in the UK, in terms of education, the UK is still churning out a lot of the old stuff. And if you are, if you have just done a course, just a disclaimer, and you're being told things like massage improves circulation, massage is breaking down knots, yeah. um, that all that kind of like lock and release. And you're holding onto a muscle at the origin and then moving the limb and then you're stretching the muscle in that segment. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's okay. Don't worry. Don't run away. You're going to read stuff saying probably that's bullshitting it, people calling it out and making you feel really insignificant. But what I like about you, Greg, and your message is that you're not saying stop doing all that stuff. You're just saying. Make it simpler, stop kind of thinking that the reason I'm doing this is because this is what's happening to the body think about the person you're doing on whether they like it, whether they're enjoying it and what message they're getting through it. You don't have to throw everything out. Do you?
1: Yeah, that's it. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I did active release technique, which is that pin in theory, pin the muscle, break up the adhesion. Mm. I never bought into it, but I still found people still found it helpful. Mm. And I was like, what are you doing? I'm like, "Uh, I'm just, I'm with you. We're helping you move differently and you're moving with less pain. That's it. Actually for a long time, What I thought I was doing was mechanotransduction. Mm. I thought it was loading up tendons and catalyzing like a healing building response. Mm. I was wrong. (laughs) Do you definitely know you're wrong? I'm pretty sure. Like, I don't think you can rub yourself to hypertrophy. You know, Mm. you can't just rub. Like, otherwise you could rub your biceps, right? And they would grow. I'd be on that program. I, I don't think it catalyzes mechanotransduction in that way.
0: Yeah, we chatted last week about that. So if you're not sure about mechanical transduction, we mentioned there was Peter last week, the idea of cross friction, which is still, it's taught oh, like yeah, a level yeah. five. You, you can't, you don't, le- you don't learn that at, you don't learn that level three. No, 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 no. <laughs> you have to do a level four because that's yeah. only when you're able to rubber an Achilles. And I think it was David Poulter actually on Twitter said, if that was true, then how come it doesn't affect your fingers when you're rubbing and yeah. the other end? Why is it not kind of affecting? Well, it does. Skin? You
1: can, you can get a callus and I'm, I'm pretty sure your bones can adapt. So, uh, I mean, it does, you can get mechanical transaction at a sur- surface level there.
0: Yeah, at a surface level. I'm yeah, just
1: not sure it would work tissue-wise. I mean, yeah. or, or you can look at horseback riders. This is one where it's a bit tough. Horseback riders are one of the few people who have a greater stiffness on the inside of their legs. But I would assume that's from the muscles pulling on the tendons, not from the rubbing of oh, the no. saddle. Oh, but, interesting. So I always thought that's what we were doing. I never really thought releasing something never made sense because yeah. in general, when you tense tension, a tissue, put tense, tensile force into a tissue, it responds by getting stiffer. It's why mm. I got pissed off with people. I don't know if Pete ever said this, Maliares, but a lot of people in the tendon world would say, don't stretch a tendon. You're going to make it less stiff. And I'm like, you're confusing a short-term response with a long-term response. Mm. That's like saying don't strength train because it's going to make you more tired and weaker. <laughs> Well, yes, no. that happens after you work out. It doesn't happen in the long term. Anyway.
0: Yeah, there's loads of, yeah, Well, uh, there's, there's plenty of things. You question everything and it's really healthy, but little by little, for the moment, the message for you guys listening to the podcast, if you have been taught cross fiction, so. <laughs> then um, you, I mean, you can still do it, okay? It's just a change in narrative that you probably, it's not probably not likely that with your hands, you're having as much of a change on the person's tissues as you are on their belief that this is going to help, which is perfectly valuable. And if they think it's going to help and they feel confident, then that could be just as powerful at all as, and maybe less destructive at all than thinking that they need you to fix them by rubbing them.
1: Yeah. You're going to have a short-term viscoelastic response for sure. Mm. So there'll be less stiffness in the short term just like with any tissue that warms up and you move it. But yeah. It, you wouldn't have a long-term change. And that's the same with pretty much every inter- intervention. Same with stretching.
0: You know. But this is part of the problem because on courses still, it's yeah. assess, do the technique, reassess. Can you see the difference? Wow, my legs are the same length. Wow, my shoulders are the same length. My flusor release rocks. I'm fine. But people don't reassess it kind of quarter an hour later or in the morning. Yeah, You know, it's like... So, again, I say that with a smile on my face, but um, if, if you listen to the podcast, then, again, it doesn't mean you stop assessing people at the end of it um, because probably that client or patient wants you to reassess them. They want you to have a little look, but it's just changing the narrative a little bit. Um, fine. Let me look at my crib sheets. I want to stick on track with regards to things to asking you. Yeah, you mentioned symptom modification. I think that's a really nice couple of words which people can read about. You've done blogs on it. Um, again, just to remind you, if you're interested in reading after listening to this, then go to greglayman.ca and there's a whole load of information on there which you can uh, read through in your own time Um, and laid out, I would say, in a pretty, really fair, nice way. It's really balanced. Greg loves challenging himself. He'll challenge his own biases Um, and it's healthy. It shows you how to just critically appraise yourself and what you've been told and not feel embarrassed about thinking, actually, I'm not quite sure sure about this um, because it's okay being wrong. It's kind of pretty cool, actually. Makes it more exciting. Um, I want to, yeah, symptomification. How can you break that down for someone who goes, huh, what's that? Uh,
1: to me, like, I'm really interested in how there's different clinicians that teach out there, or do research, and they seem very different, like when they have a philosophy of what they're doing. And so uh, what I've realized, and of course, many other people realize, is that what are the, we want to look at what's the common threads between these people who seem very different. And to me, the, the common thread is that they often do symptom modification. That's what's really guiding their treatment. Uh, although they'll explain it via biomechanical terms, like, like a Mulligan technique, we're putting the joint into the right position. Or Shirley, Shirley Summer would be like, no, 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 we're, we're getting the joints to move in the most optimal way for them on, that allows them to handle the most, most stress like in the right way, in a neutral, not deviating from neutral uh, or even some McKenzie or the mechanical diagnosis and therapy. They were, you know, started out with the disarrangement model, and I know they moved away from that. So there's there's so many techniques out there that that have biomechanical underpinnings that inspired them. But really, when you watch them practice, they're led by changes in symptoms. Meaning, if this hurts, okay, don't do that. Do it over here. It's as simple as that sometimes. We hear like running is a good example. What's the right way to run? I don't know. For like on your feet, I can agree with that. Four foot, midfoot, heel strike. Uh, I don't know. Try, try them. So if someone, if someone's ankle hurts or their calf hurts when they're running and they ha- run on their toes, well, maybe we could consider not running on your toes for a bit. Does that feel better? Yeah, okay, well, let's run like that for a bit. Is running on your toes harmful? No, it was just not the right thing for you at this point in time. You make it sound... <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so bloody simple. <laughs> we make it so hard. Oh, no, but yeah, but it's such
0: a challenge for... I can hear the screams in the heads of people listening to the podcast who are going because you're taking away their power. Traditionally, it's the whole Diane Jacob nail paper, isn't it, with the operator against the facilitator. Our yeah. industry is based on being an operator where you got the white coat on, you got the skills, you lay the hands on, you fix that person. Our whole, our whole healthcare system is that you go to a surgeon, you go to a GP, you get a pill. The idea of just kind of saying something like that to the person in front of you, um, just sounds like we've got nothing to offer, but
1: yeah. Yeah. It's still hard though. So I would still take a course with, uh, Shirley Sarman. I guess she's not that popular in the UK. Cause like if, if my practice style is to teach people different ways to move, that's not always easy. People are creatures of habit. Changing technique is difficult. You know, if you're working with someone who, who, weight lifts and they have a deadlift and and they're lifting with a very like non flex spine and that's aggravating well you might want to teach them to lift with a more flex spine and that's not that's not always easy that's a new movement technique that's so there's still skill involved in, in doing that stuff changing how people run isn't always easy i mean just take more steps but other than that
0: give <laughs> me <laughs> going back to symptom modification just give me an idea just a even maybe a visual again of if someone comes to you in shoulder pain Sure, um, easy. Yeah, For people <laughs> who are
1: watching YouTube. So if you're, what's, it's Joe, Joe Gibson. Mm. I always want to say Jill. Joe Gibson's sure. famous and maybe Jeremy Lewis. Uh, hurts to raise your arm. Okay. Fundamentally, I mean, at most like movement, sport therapists, physios, if we look at what are we always trying to do with our patients? We really just want to get them moving again. Mm-hmm. It's, we want to stress them in some way and movement and exercise is, is the stressor usually. So fundamentally, okay, let's, let's find the thing that hurts. I'll lift my, my arm like this. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, now let's change something about that. Why don't you make a fist? Now lift your arm. Oh my gosh, that feels 90% better. Okay, do lots of that. <laughs> Talk me
0: through briefly, without going too deep down to the kind of like neurotags and kind of what's going on in the brain, but what could, what's the most popular explanation for why something like
1: that works? So you can, sometimes I, I, re, I still think there's a nociception role going on here. And if you read like Peter O'Sullivan's old work with cognitive functional therapy, they used to talk about that. It was funny. They'd be like, we're going to have you lift and bend your spine with, with less muscle stress and less tone and relaxed. And they even quoted McGill or actually Joan Scannell who worked with McGill and some of their stuff saying, oh, there's less load on the spine and that this could be better for the nociceptors." They don't say that anymore. Now they have a more psychological explanation. But you know what? Sometimes it is nociception. Like when you when you do when you lift your arm, you do a scapular assistance test. That does change the space, the acromial humeral space, and that might actually change nociception. So it could be very peripheral. The other theories are like. Someone moves differently. They control their pain. They can't believe that they can bend their spine and it doesn't hurt or they're not afraid. And then you you challenge their sense of self and they call that like um, an expectation violation. This is a psychological term seen in the exposure literature. And so suddenly they're just shocked that they can do something that they thought that they couldn't do and they have to revisit how they view themselves and that in turn is you know there's less fear there's less worry there's more confidence they have hope and then they have less pain C- could there also be nociception deception involved yeah but could it be more top down yeah do i know no
0: does it matter does, that, <laughs>
1: and it doesn't it doesn't matter and that's why i love the cft and jp Canero because they even call those these are called behavioral experiments mm. i like That's what you're doing with your patient. I had a patient this morning. I'm like, I just want you to, would you mind like experimenting with movement? Just see what you can do, what you're comfortable with, what you're afraid of. If you find something that's your little, you know, some trepidation, good. You don't need to do that now, but that's a goal. We can build toward that. It's always like, what are the fundamentals? We never ask those questions. What exactly has to happen for someone to get better? And to Mm -hmm. me, it's like moving, moving again, stressing the person in some way that they haven't been stressed before, and that catalyzes some adaptation.
0: I think it's often, it's interesting that when I just said, like, um, does it matter? Like often the client doesn't, again, care, but it's the therapist who feels, now I've got to give an explanation. I've got to tell them <laughs> what's happening here because that's why they've come to see me. But this is something that, again, the therapists are taught in their traditional courses that you know you've got to explain to the client they don't care do they they just want to be able to lift up the grandkids or throw the ball or serve the ball or whatever it is or tackle somebody so yeah don't have to get explanation leading on from that i am interested though because i think it's only a small jump from symptom modification to maybe the patient or maybe even the therapist thinking oh wow so really we're just playing with the brain and kind of like this pain was always in the head that's what's happening we're just doing it a different way to confuse the brain and now it can do it again we know that's kind of a pretty dark avenue to go around as soon as you start saying it's all in the head and in the brain. So how do you combat that?
1: Oh, I, I, I'm super comfortable. I always think the tissue's involved. Uh, I start with the idea that there's some nociception. And then let's, so let's do things that can potentially influence nociception. And then let's do things that influence our response to nociception. Like this, this is the whole idea of care where it's belts and suspenders. If you don't want your pants to fall down, you wear a belt and suspenders. And when you look at most rehab, it tries to be pretty comprehensive. You, you try to work on a number of things. Everyone, again, that's what you're seeing in most of the models out there. Mm-hmm. Right? They work on it. So, and, I, and I'm a simpleton. So I'm like, the tissue could be sending nociceptive signals. And then it's also what we do with that. There's some altered processing somewhere. So let's work on all of that. Confidence, hope, fear, rumination, anxiety, depression, diet, general activity, social, maybe changing their, that, something at the level of spinal cord, the anti pro nociceptive stuff, and maybe doing something at the tissue where perhaps you can change the, the pr- production of nociception. I don't know. So we're just, you're just working on optimizing the person in front of you. Nice. I choose optimize because it's kind of a full, massive word like mm-hmm. capacity doesn't. You can't nail me down.
0: It's true, yeah. You don't like backing yourself <laughs> into corners, do you? No, no. No, that's nice. <laughs> that's cool, yeah. So to vo- to avoid this idea that it's all in the head, you just accept the fact. You know, there might be when you're saying ah. I'm doing with a Canadian accent, narcissism Then it's like that's the messages coming from the tissues to the brain, suggesting that there might be or the brain might interpret as something's wrong, like a chemical change or kind of like yeah. a pressure change. Or, so there could be that going on, but it's not the only input oh, to the brain. There's plenty totally. of other ways.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I, and then what's so cool is remember the brain would influence chemical nociception at the level of the tissue. Mm. Fears and worry probably create like uh, a pro-inflammatory response down there. Mm. You know, that's the neurogenic uh, inflammation it could certainly uh, probably mechanistically influence what happens at the level of the spinal cord where nausea is amplified right so is that a brain thing or is that a body thing mm. it's, it's both right
0: definitely yeah yeah and that's a conclusion that eventually people get to rather than dividing up the kind of bio from the psycho from the social uh, you yeah. eventually you just realize it's yeah. No, even mental health and physical health is kind of like a bit of a distinction which is not as clear and black and white as it should be as people think it is rather um okay cool right um let me just um i always forget that there's people actually watching this show and um <laughs> sorry guys there's some questions here let me go back to daniel williams um, first of all daniel said um it would kill me if i don't mention this um oh yeah daniel said come to our clinic in birmingham please greg please look he even said please so, come um, sure,
1: of course, you will yeah,
0: just give him the day, he'll squeeze it in between the Rocky Mountains and Cork. There'll be a flight. Um, yeah, definitely. Daniel, talk to Greg, I'm sure he'd love to. You've been to Manchester a few times, haven't you? Uh,
1: well, you... I was in Manchester, I just spent a week there in between courses. Oh, ah, that's just to kill some time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then we had to cancel a Manchester course because of like uh, Canada COVID things, and there wasn't a lot of interest. So, Guess because of covid yeah that makes sense sure blame it on covid not me (laughs) (laughs) it's not me um so
0: daniel says then follows up the question would the gold standard in your opinion have both skills to have both skills to be able to do manual therapy and be able to load the body in the right way for that individual with a better narrative
1: uh sure yeah uh, I, I, I have hesitant, like, I'm always hesitant to say something has to be done. Mm. Uh, I, my bias again is physical loading, you know, I, so I, I, my bias would be, there's probably more times where if you had to choose one being more important, it would be the, the loading, like for certain injuries, especially when you're talking about tissue injury, like the tissue, when the tissue is really involved, it needs physical stress in order to adapt. Mm-hmm. So there'd be times I'd be like, my bias would be toward that. Um, but then when it's a, I don't know, yeah, it's, so yeah, I, but, I, but I'm just hesitant to tell people, oh, you have to go get manual therapy skills. Cause I, I, I wouldn't think that, I don't think that would be fair, but if you mm-hmm. do like doing both, then yeah, go for it. Yeah.
0: It's, um, <laughs> I've, I've enjoyed watching you on social media, kind of challenging People defending stuff because it fits their biases, like the whole loading thing. Yeah, um, I was quite surprised. I listened to your um, chat on the Massage Collective or Massage Matters. I didn't realize. I have to go back and check it out. That so much research with loading doesn't bother having a control. It's just kind of. Oh like, God,
1: no! Yeah, it's so like. That. That's when you have these famous tendon researchers uh, just shitting on manual therapy or stretching. And then then they talk about loading for a tendon. And you're like, where's the control group? Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with pain, you better have a bloody good control group. And there rarely is. Or or you look at the stretching literature. And uh, again, like people will, I, I don't do ultrasound or stim, but I, when there's no control group in those in those papers on knee pain, these people are improving 40 to 50 to 60%. That's pretty much what someone does in an exercise program when there's no control group Mm. and, and yet we're like, yay exercise, uh, but boo ultrasound, (laughs) like Mm. with such an inconsistency. And then when you go and and there's only a few studies that will have a control group in the ultrasound stuff. So, and then, and then it doesn't outperform the sham, but show me the exercise where exercise is outperforming the sham. I'm not going to go buy an ultrasound machine, but again, I'm just I'm just asking for consistency, and I just it just makes me feel like squeamish to tell someone that they suck, and that to do this instead, if I haven't held what I love to do to such a rigorous standard, like that, I have issues with that, and I see that too much.
0: But that would be your what's the word epitaph yeah uh, it would be in it you know that is that's what you've since i've known you and followed you in and, and a constant theme in all of your blogs is you want to challenge yourself you know you want to make sure that you are not preaching and they're not doing what you preach to yourself so it's a common theme very helpful.
1: yeah it's it's funny you can find a paper of mine 2016 with kieran o'sullivan and sean McAuliffe in the ascotar sports medicine telling people not to do static stretching and mm-hmm. as i was writing that i'm like oh shit i have to really revisit what i think on this but it's too late now And then that's what I, the last seven years, I've really challenged and I've made it, well, you know, I've made it pretty, Mm. not a 180, it's more, it's more that I'm more 360 and that I'm more all accepting. Before Mm. I'd say no, and now I have less reason to say no.
0: Mm. Yeah, very healthy. Cool. Um, question here. Fiona Higgs says, let's bring it up. Um, again, people, if you listen to the podcast and you like the idea of asking our fantastic guest questions live, then you just got to come along on the Tuesday, eight o'clock UK time, and you can do things like this. Fiona Higgs says, Greg, I'm interested to know your view on the meaning given to the term biomechanics in the manual therapy fitness industry.
1: Yeah, I mean, and then she, she has a little bit more here and it seems yep, to be broadly absolutely. interpreted attributed to the cause of a lot of issues. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I, I still believe posture, load, stress on tissue is often important, right? Like, and, and that's where symptom modification would come into play. So if someone's sitting upright all day, sitting on a desk and their neck is really sore, I'd be like, okay, how can we desensitize this system? One thing could be, well... Are you able to slouch? Can you put your feet up on the desk? Can you stand instead of sitting all day? So that's a biomechanical approach. The difference is I'm not thinking that there's one right way to move. Or I might add exercise and heavy resistance training for the neck. And I'm not thinking, oh, I need to like tighten your rhomboids and loosen your pec minor to get your neck into the, this position. I'm thinking, oh, no, no, exercise is wonderful for a bunch of reasons. It can help you tolerate this sitting. Or maybe you need to start running more, and then we'd be like, okay, so there's our mechanical interventions. What are the other things that we can work on in their life that might be driving this sensitivity? Maybe they have depression that should be treated, or some anxiety that's untreated. What what's their sleep like? You know, are they you know doing stuff that they love still? So you know that that, that So I, again, mechanics, biomechanics, are still important, but just maybe not the ways that we've been traditionally taught, which mm-hmm. is the kinesiopathological model, which I don't ascribe to.
0: Mm-hmm. um yeah fiona kind of follows on I'm just gonna read this out people listening to the podcast it would be nice if we provided people with the skills to read into the evidence to arrive through the vocational route but paywalls and union fees are often a sticking point for many
1: yeah so if you should all go to sci hub so s c i dash h u b and then dot s t or sc it's always changing there's mirrors. Mm-hmm. And you go to that and you can just put in the title of a journal article or the PMID or the DOI. Uh, and you can often get that full journal article.
0: Oh, it's like a Torrent site or something like a line wire for journals yeah. papers.
1: Well, I forget her name, that no, yeah. the woman that runs it. She's just this genius, uh, maybe Estonian PhD. She's the Robin Hood of research. I mean, you've already paid for it. You, you own the research. You've you, if if you've ever paid a tax, that's gone to a university researcher who has mm. done the research. It's your research. Like fuck them. Like we don't need to give this to Elsevier. Mm
0: it's um actually kudos to fiona higgs um who's an sta um, member and has run her own courses got some big courses she did a load of shorter courses as well like even one two-day workshops or one-day workshops for like only three hours just on how to read papers you know so one thing is encouraging critical thinking but then you've got to be able to look at a study and work out whether they haven't got a control group like things you said because that's kind of kind of important these days in a world where we are being given so much evidence, you've got to be able, haven't you, if you're going to stay on top of it to know how to decipher between something, which is just biased and kind of funded by people who have just got one objective. And is that something you kind of go over in your course at all? Like how to interpret whether what you're reading is worth the paper it's written on or not?
1: So probably not explicitly, but we do go through some research. You know, I don't want to bore people. That's what the online, the online course is for boring people. No, I don't. (laughs) And so uh, we'll just, I'll just point out things as we go along, but it's never explicit. Hopefully it's just a drip, drip, drip of a different, of a way to think about research.
0: One of your claims to fame, I don't think anyone's kind of uh, beaten it yet, is having been someone who's been on your courses, you just have got this almost kind of, it's almost an illness man i'm gonna have to say or <laughs> <laughs> where you just remember so much it's just it's there in the front of your head um the paper i think it was this i think the co-authors were this and i think that it's, it's just something you've always had is it it just retains just stays yeah there.
1: i mean i've always read a lot of papers and they yeah. just stick around but again I'll, often it's just like it's like contextual learning someone mm. says something and then it triggers something and then it's linked to something else. You know, so that, I don't know, it's just, it's, and it, it's how I, how I file researches via the mm. authors. It's harder when there's new authors coming out. That's what always makes it tough. But once you get started, you realize how people have authors have like relationships with other authors. So, mm. if you know, one, you're linked to a bunch of others. I don't know. It's quite good, with not It's not an illness. I was, I was oh, I thought you were going to say I jump around a lot when I teach.
0: When I teach. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, no, 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 that's not it. It's just your memory. But yeah. Yeah, the course. Are you a- jumping around much? Is the people? Yeah, that I,
1: so I don't, I don't tell people. But if you actually tried to follow my notes, you can't because I, I change the order of things depending on where the discussion goes.
0: Ah, oh, you meant physically force- jumping about, I thought you mentioned some kind of like no. neon thing. Oh, right, okay, got you.
1: Yeah, I change like if someone brings up something, I'll just jump to that part of the lecture and then come back. Like we just rather than forcing people to go in my flow, I try to go on the flow of the class. I don't, and I, I know there's people that don't like that, so I apologize to you. <laughs> We're going to cover it all. I just don't want to you know, get boring. You can tell when people are bored. And you're like, I got to wrap this up. There's no point in talking. Well, <laughs> you just
0: show a picture of your daughter at a very early age, just covering crap. That's kind of a way to get people oh, yeah. back on
1: track as well, isn't it? That she I forgot about that story. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You can't really do that. I don't, I'm don't. i hoping you can't show photos in this age now, still in the same kind of predicament. No, but the I, famous...
1: <laughs> Go on. No, sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I was just thinking as well, also, which is a classic one seven years ago, <laughs> the fact that your one of your daughters was a crawler, but didn't go in a straight line, kind of veered
1: off, didn't she, to the right oh, and yeah. left? Was, yeah, you remember I, that? I forgot yeah, yeah, yeah. not that. That was Betty. <laughs> that's not in the course. See, I got to bring that in. I don't know where that one is. Or was that? Maybe that was Mimi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah, that's back. I got put that one back in.
0: That's classic. Yeah. That's really good. Um. It is a common trait. I mean, again, the reason one of the, re- I love, I love comedy. I like humor. That's why I, I, Laura Mimose was sold to me straight away. I think he, that's why he's been so successful because he manages to explain things with that sense of humor and that approachability. You do very much the same thing with a, a lot of irony. I have the videos you've produced with family. Um, I can't remember whether they're cool now, but showing the school of whatever it was and kind of like doing a posture analysis and just showing that's great I mean. irony and sarcasm um yeah that was uh, fantastic as well um and all kind of look with a fear in your face of kind of your wife getting home and then asking what you've been doing all day and there's a video <laughs> on youtube with a million downloads <laughs> with mimi in her underwear exactly that was the one diaper yeah um but yeah worth if you like a little bit of sense of humor in your learning which i think is a it's makes it all playing it makes it easy to learn and uh, do check out some of the videos as well on youtube what are some of the we're getting close to time now just to to talk a little bit more about the course itself what are some of the in your time some of the kind of eureka coin dropping moments which you've seen people on your course have where they've thought ah that makes so much sense now what are some of the things which they might pick up
1: so, so i don't know if you, i don't know if people do it in the course because i think they might already be on their way mm-hmm. once they come to my course but i will quite often get emails or facebook messages where people are like not apologetic but like oh, okay It's been five years. I I get, you know, like, of of me listening to you and I, okay, I get it. I get it. it. It's okay. I totally, I'm all, I'm all on board. (laughs) Like, I get a lot of that. (laughs) Or it's just the slow change over time. Like, so your courses
0: have, your courses have actually got a long shelf life. If it's five years, people still thinking
1: about it and then getting, so no, I think they 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 might just see me online and, and, and then, but I, I, I will have people who take the course and are like, this, because i don't want to tell people that they're doing it wrong just there's just not it's just there's there's other ways to do it and we can be we can have a bigger tent that's the idea and so i get a lot of the monday morning like no is this helps i was i was on this path i feel better on this path now i don't feel so alone you know you've helped sharpen my thinking in this area you've given me more examples of how to use it you know get, i i feel better now you know that that's it cuz honestly for so long me as a therapist, I just – our whole industry, I, a huge part of it is making people feel stupid so that they feel like they need to take your course. And I think I might have told this analogy with you there where I'm like, you guys are smart. There's a point where all of us come up to a wall, and we think that there's answers on the other side of the wall, and and there are, but no one's over there yet, right? Don't, don't think that there's people on the other side of that wall that know something that you don't know. They just pretend they're on that side of the wall and they're not, right? They just make you feel like shit. And so you jump all these hoops and you're not on the other side of that wall. Do you know what I mean? Like, have you seen that? Like, I hate that stuff where people make it so hard or make people feel like they don't know anything or you're not loading right. Oh, it's not, that's not the right way to prescribe action. Oh, you did six reps. You didn't do three reps. You did 12 reps instead of four. (laughs) You know nothing about strength and conditioning. I'm like, you don't know shit. You just, that's an old textbook idea. If you knew more, you would know that that isn't right. <laughs> but
0: anyway, Yeah. So. The power, the power of FOMO, fear of missing out, isn't it? You know, the yeah. latest thing you need to pay for it. Otherwise you're going to be doing it all wrong. But again, that's why, I mean, that's, that's, when people ask me what CP to do, I'll make it first of all to make it really clear. And we did it at the beginning of this month that there's no such thing as the perfect CPD for everyone. It depends where you are on your journey. It depends what sort of person you are, what you're trying to achieve, whether you work by yourself in a full clinic, what sort of clients you're getting, what your target audience is, so many different factors. But one of the take homes that I personally give for you is that people will come out with a with a sensation they can do so much more even though they went in thinking this is going to change everything i've learned and it's going to be really scary this is kind of liberating because suddenly you are actually working with the person in front of you and it's exciting it's a jigsaw you can turn around next we can go you know what this isn't working that's cool we tried it let's have a little look at this now what happened to you this and you really are working with someone you know it really is I don't even like using the word therapy anymore because it's kind of connotations of doing something to somebody. I wish there was another word, but it's you coaching. really are
1: huh? coaching. Co- coaching. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that yeah, might be sometimes them. a better word with what we're doing.
0: And it's a beautiful thing. You're sharing that person's life and you're facilitating, you're helping them. And that's and that's a, a normally a faster route to helping them with their... Whatever experience, pain experience they're going through. So it is exciting. And you come away, not with all the answers, but you come away a bit like a Bruce Lee kind of thing going on where the glass has been emptied of his water. So now you can kind of fill it up again now, as opposed to just chucking stuff on top and top and just thinking, oh my God, I've got too much to do. So um, fair analogy. Does your course help people empty their glass so they can fill it up themselves?
1: Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. But I would also say it just sort of gives people other options as well. Mm. You can still do what you're doing, but maybe you can add these other things. Cool. That's, the, that's the tweak. And you see that, I think, with Peter O'Sullivan's course. It's mm. really good doing that well. You can do a lot of the stuff. And then why don't you add some of these things? Yeah. You know, that's the idea. You simplify so you have space to add other things. Nice. That's how I like to view it.
0: Do people who do your course, if people listening to this and they're like, you know what, I like the sound, it's great. That's okay. Um, I fancy that. Is there a certain amount of prior knowledge that they need or pre-reading or do you get people from different professions and industries or... yeah
1: i, I again cuz it's not about the n- hardcore neuroscience of pain i don't think we need to be neuroscientists it's simple key messages so i, I so there's not a lot i mean again the, the the online course has like two extra hours of strength and conditioning stuff just the nitty-gritty details so but i don't do that in the course cuz it's too whatever academic but that that reference is always there for people so there isn't really i don't know i don't think so
0: Right. No. as long as they've just got the desire to help people then that's kind of the only way to get through the door you just got to want to be able to help people which is what we're supposed to be all in it for isn't it um i should point out that again i mean you were the one of the first people i know i think who we're putting free stuff up online not just free stuff but like huge amounts of stuff um, and if you go to let me just put this on big screen for people watching this. If you do go to Greg dot CA, there's a fantastic recovery strategies pain guidebook, which I mean, again, it just ticks my boxes, but it's beautifully artworked. It's got some amazing ideas, which and, and strategies which you can give to your patients. You can give it to them to have a little look at in their own time. But also as a younger therapist or less experienced therapist, have a little read through it. And and the coin will start dropping for you. Um, And it's free. It's like probably, I would say, one of the best forms of free CPD out there on the market. And it's just read it in your own time. And I love the diagrams and everything and the analogies used. It's a really healthy thing. So that's something you might want to have a look at um, if you're interested in doing one of the courses. Um, And it's like being translated. And how many languages are we at now? Isn't it like...
1: Oh, at least 10, but maybe they're not all on the website. I get a little lazy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, no, really. I mean, yeah, I can't was, remember when you first produced it. It was quite a few years ago, wasn't it? But it's yeah, just,
1: I, I, there's no reason to change it. I yeah, still, yeah. I'm still, I'm, yeah, because I don't get into the hardcore debate. So it's just simple fundamentals. Someone's like, Hey, Greg, there's a new definition of pain. Who cares? Patients don't need to know it. I don't really need to know it. I know that they changed it, but it doesn't change jack shit. About what we do in practice. <laughs> so, who cares? So who cares exactly?
0: So there we go, people. Um, it's nine oh five, um, so we've been through an hour already. I'm apologise if there's a few questions in here which I didn't get to, but if you're listening to the podcast and you've got more questions, then as always, um, just go over to the YouTube channel. You'll find the video for this there, and there's a comment box so you can always put questions in there. Anything um, that I feel would be relevant, I'll send to Greg and then come back and give you an answer. Um, if people want to contact you directly, Greg, where should they go?
1: Oh, Twitter. Just Greg Lehman. But Daniel has one question. here. I will say we do touch on how to communicate. There's a lot of like group breakouts with clinical case studies. And so anytime we do like a, a physical intervention, the, the the practice is also, well, how would you explain this in an optimistic way to your patient? So we try to do the, that type of communication skills as well. And then day two, like the last two to three hours is just simple key messages, but it's sprinkled throughout the course. So. Uh, I think being a communicator is important. It's definitely where I need to get better. <laughs> I love it the way I you totally speak lost. It. I lost a patient in the past month. I didn't. Yeah, I read it wrong. Whatever. Mm. Their loss. <laughs>
0: exactly. I was going to say you're going to, aren't you? You know, you just is, yeah. You, you become a better person
1: for it. Their loss. person. I lost it. No, no. <laughs> I, you can all get better there. Yeah.
0: Wicked. Um, Right. So reconciling uh, biomechanics with pain science, um, Cork Island on April the 2nd and the 3rd at Pilates Physio Cork. And for full details of the course, then head to greglayman.ca. And like I said, there's a whole load of other information which you can um, have a look at whilst you're there. Um, I'm going to say goodbye to people in the live lounge, Greg. Um, Don't press any buttons. I'll just say thanks to you in person. Uh, once these people have gone. Um, if you have enjoyed this, you listen to the podcast, maybe you want to join live, then our CPD focus continues next week. We have got special guest Angela Jackson, who's going to be joining us. We're going to be taking a look at working with teenage ath- uh, athletes. Um, Angela Jackson has got a fantastic website, angelajacksonphysio.com, and her speciality is working with what are definitely not uh, little people. They are people in their own right. Um, So we'll be focusing on working with teenage athletes next week, as always, eight o'clock UK time on YouTube exclusively. So we'll be doing that. Um, To people who join us live today, thanks very much for giving us up your time. And um, also huge thanks to Greg Lehman for giving up your time, Greg. Take care. And uh, we'll see you hopefully in a week. But if not, listen to the podcast. And don't forget, leave us a review. Thank you and good night. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about.